0: And welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore of the Old World, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, What's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co host, Christopher Krallin Allen. Hello there. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Mm, very true. And my dear brother, Darren. I've got really strong deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Ignorance. Oh, we're not doing that. Ignorance. No, no. (laughs) That's done. (laughs) (laughs) Crowd cancelled it because you kept saying eh? (laughs) stupidity. The
1: system works. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Dara, why are you why have you got deja vu?
1: I don't know. I just feel like I've we've been here before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we've been here many times before over the past two years, but <laughs> maybe we should explain why this one's extra special, Ben.
0: Because we are re-recording for the seventh time. No, we did this entire episode before. Then it transpired that Dar was recording the entire thing through his webcam, and it sounded like shit.
2: So here we are again. And us, being the audio Nazis we are, absolutely insisted we have to do it again. So let's make this sound as natural as possible, eh? Yeah. Although, this is <laughs> yeah. going to be, this is gonna be the,
0: the one episode in which we're going to really struggle to sound ignorant, Chris, because everything he tells us, he'll have told us before.
2: That's fine. My conscience is clear. You know my memory is shot anyway, so this is all <laughs> going to be new to me anyway. Ben, you're going to struggle. Yeah. So.
1: I think what I'll do is I'll just, just make shit up. <laughs> if, that, if, if that'll keep it going. I mean, it might have an impact on our integrity,
0: but... <laughs> <clears throat> All right, well, let's uh, just cut to the chase. Krell, you know what time it is.
1: Hello, Reichland. It's time for the and Recap.
2: Recap for episode 26. And we covered the destruction of Mordheim. So, Ben, as we've been here before, we've done this recap before, I'm going to quiz you, and if you get any less than 100%... <laughs> I get replaced on the podcast. That's it, yeah, exactly. He
1: has to get his inner thighs waxed.
0: <laughs> Considering I have hairy tights,
2: that's, that's yeah, that's going to be quite something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you've got a lot to lose. The pressure's on. The destruction of Mordheim, a fake prophetic twin-tailed comet made out of warpstone and containing the soul of who ben the first Chaos Demon Prince, plummeted into the city, completely destroying it. Jimmy Savile. Which... <laughs> oh,
0: no, that's very how, close, that. but <laughs> no... <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: was it uh jimmy Savile, aka bellicor
2: yes mundo.
1: i'm gonna like i will be personally offended given how many times we've gone through this already if you don't
2: get 100%. <laughs> okay uh, julie well it's his thighs that are gonna pay
0: wait hold on hold on quick question will laying down the lord be covering the cost of said inner thigh waxage
1: only if it changes your voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've just had my inner thighs waxed. Yeah,
1: only if you let us record it while it's
2: happening. <laughs> right. Uh. Carry on. Carrying on. So, following that, Warpstone scattered far and wide, attracting the attention of factions and groups in the surrounding areas who came to claim as much of the green goodness as they could, including a certain who... Von Hustein then. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that. Uh, it was the it was the someone something
0: that you did for a Thorgrim Grudgebearer that reminded me of that one. <laughs> yeah. Was it Vlad von Karstein? Vlad himself <laughs> <laughs>
2: Lexicano Sylvania. Is Jimmy Savile just moonlighting as all these Warhammer characters?
0: <laughs> yeah. Weird. And not moonlighting in the way that you think.
1: <laughs> yeah, Vlad will fix it for you.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that advert. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, just, just making that clear.
2: Nobody's doing that advert.
1: Yeah. we'll no, get Hugh no. Dennis to do it.
2: Yeah. Ambitious to be emperor of the entire old world, Vlad farmed enough warpstone to reenact a smaller scale of what, Ben? What did he need? A bunch love warpstone for was it the mediocre ritual
0: of of the what of who <laughs> the ritual of nagash
2: <laughs> that'll do yeah okay cool you, you scrape through there and why did he want to recreate nagash's great ritual what was the reason he wanted to do to it? bring jeremy savile back
1: daddy issues <laughs>
2: all right drop the gym. okay sample.
0: uh why did he want to
2: do it?
1: <laughs> to bring gary glitter back
0: <laughs> uh why did he want to do it why wouldn't he want to do it it was fucking yeah it'd be awesome wouldn't it it'd be great fun it, it
2: would be awesome but also i need a little bit more here chris my th- yeah, my thighs are at risk like okay fine Ben, I ain't got nothing to lose here. He, okay, <laughs> put it this way. He's really ambitious. He's the elected count of Sylvania, but he could be so much more. He wanted to be the emperor of... He wants to rule the world, did not he? Correct. That's right. Good old-fashioned world domination, Ben. That's why he wanted to recreate Nagash's Great Ritual. That tends to be the answer for any motivation within Warhammer, isn't it? Pretty yeah. much. Exactly, exactly.
1: It's certainly the motivation for Iconi's
2: marriage, <laughs> world domination. It's a functional marriage. Yeah, yeah. yeah he wanted to reenact Nagash's great ritual and reanimate all the corpses in and around Sylvania to give him an undead force large enough to start his campaign to march up and overthrow the Emperor. Rah, 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 rah. Right. During his campaign, many attempts were made to kill Vlad and many times were successful. However, Ben, why could he not be killed? Oh, because he... Why um, did he keep coming back? Because he, (laughs) for want of a better expression, he had a funky ring. He had a super funky uber extra ring. That's right. And after gaining knowledge of this ring and its capabilities, Vlad's enemies recruited the skills of the thief extraordinaire. Who, Ben? Which thief did they recruit? His name was Felix Woman. His name was Felix Woman, almost. Felix Man. <laughs> Woman. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. <laughs> Felix Mann, Man, who nabbed the ring from the Vamp Lord whilst he was napping in the middle of a siege in the middle of the day. <laughs> which you were not happy about, Carl. <laughs> I am still not happy about. <laughs> After which Vlad was vulnerable, was finally killed and put, to an, and put an end to his quest for world domination. The end. Amen. Amen. Hooray! Harumble! And rumble for my inner thighs. Hey, what does rumble <laughs> mean?
0: It's a version of hooray. Uh, is it a variation on it that you invented
1: so that people would ask you what it means?
0: Uh, yeah. <clears throat> <it's>, no. <laughs> I, I, my use of it is so that people will ask me what it means, but I didn't invent it. No. That's from a radio play called Bleak Expectations. Really good play, but I way you should check out. Okay. Yeah,
1: we don't advertise for
0: free, man. <laughs> I know, I'm expecting payment from the BBC anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, payment in the form of a BBC.
2: <laughs> oh! Nice! Boom! Burn! <laughs> so that was episode 26 recap for the second time. Was it any better than the first? I can't really remember. <laughs> I'm sure it was amazing.
1: The second times are usually better because you're less nervous, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm going to feel with my BBC, mm, that's mm. for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I'm keeping my inner leg hair for that one. Anyway, (laughs) let us move on. Anyway. (laughs) Anywho, (laughs) Dar. Yeah? What's the fucking crack again? (laughs) We're in the,
1: the 2050s. Late 2050s of uh, Warhammer timeline. Vlad has been killed, finally, because Felix Mann, as Chris said, penetrated the tent and stole his ring. Whilst he was napping. Vampires sleep during the day, Chris. That's a thing. I I don't know how many different ways to say this.
2: (laughs) It's just unbelievable, isn't it, really? It's just unbelievable. (laughs) Most powerful beings
1: in the world! I love the idea that we're talking about, like, a complete fantasy setting where everything is unbelievable, but that's the thing that pisses you off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not not to mention the fact that in, like, numerous other settings, vampires are often killed by the hero when they're sleeping in their
2: coffin. Like, that's the thing that they do, isn't it? Isn't that also in Dracula? It just dilutes their mightiness though doesn't it that, that's the point it's like he can raise the dead and he can have an army of formidable abominations and he's going to challenge the emperor and he's going to rule the world I'm just going to have a nap really <laughs> okay those are my criteria when
0: I have a nap yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> in your co- was it your flatmate has to stand outside your door with a hammer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stop anyone getting Protecting in. Protecting <laughs> my rig. So Vlad is dead, and the the offspring, the get of um, Vlad, have returned to Sylvania to lick their wounds and try and work out who the hell's going to be in charge. At the time of his passing, of his vile staking. There were five kind of contenders for the to be the Vampire Count of Sylvania. So we have Fritz, Hans, Conrad, Manfred, and Peter. These were the five vampires, or the five eldest vampires that, um, oh, what's his name? Vlad had created.
0: <laughs> what's his name? That guy I mentioned two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call him Chad. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the way I remember it is because
1: vampires are bad. Bad Von Karstein. Bad Von
2: Karstein. Bad Vladdy. Was there, was there a period of mourning after Vlad? What was the relationship like with his children in Bunny Ears? Because he didn't actually, he, weren't, he wasn't their biological father. He just made them from human to vamps, didn't he? So he of did, there. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, um, let me be the first to say, Chris, that stepfathers are good people too. You know, mm-hmm. they.
2: <laughs> and was he missed? Did they mourn? Was there a period of mourning, or was it just like right? He's out. Who's next? Vlad's dead. Yeah, it,
1: I, I think it's that. There was a period of what we just describe it as kind of political maneuvering, okay. using all aspects of uh, life and on death, mm-hmm. and indeed of the five heirs. Within short order, it was whittled down to two. So Fritz von Karstein was killed laying siege to middenheim Now, uh, listeners will recall that's the uh, the empire city that's on a big kind of promontory of rock that's uh, very well protected. He got shot through by a silver arrow, which just you know put him straight to sleep, shall we say?
0: Wow, a silver arrow. Yeah, sounds expensive. It does sound expensive. <laughs> silver arrow by pandora (laughs) it had swarovski crystals on it yeah (laughs) Yeah. who's firing silver arrows spanky bastard (laughs)
1: Uh, and then we had uh, genuine
0: question sorry who was firing silver arrows? (laughs) (laughs) uh, was it an elf it sounds like something an elf would do
1: no it was the warhammer equivalent of paul revere <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Paul, it either, yeah,
1: bro. no. Paul Revere was the one that uh, rode across the country shouting the Brits are coming, the Brits are coming. Okay. But he
2: was a silversmith as well. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the context. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's no record of who fired the arrow, but he, one would assume a, a a suitable marksman had been selected someone with to a fire bow. arrows. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. it's more than someone with a bow. Someone who's pretty handy with a bow.
0: I'd love it if this guy just kept on appearing like important at pinnacle moments in Warhammer history, just solves the
2: issue by just firing a random silver arrow. He waits to the peak of the battle and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like he like sinks the nine ball. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, He's just yeah, like yeah, one yeah. shot. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs>
1: I th- well, I think it's more like an, an angry Warhammer version of Cupid who fires the silver arrow, and as the target dies, he looks at the imaginary camera and goes, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, uh,
2: yeah. you he know. doesn't even look. He <laughs> kind of points, looks away. He points and just walks and away. Target. Yeah, <laughs> He looks straight <laughs> in the camera <laughs> while firing <laughs> the arrow. And winks. <laughs> and
0: winks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> It just pops up. Yeah, so it's an unnamed
2: Awesome dude.
1: Yeah character that uh kills Fritz. We then have a look at Peter. Peter was uh it was actually again, Chris, you'll enjoy this. He was having a nap. Aww. And then a witch hunter called Helmut Van Hall, who was um I was about to say ancestor, but he's a descendant, a descendant of the necromancer Van Hull or Van Hill, oh, yeah. who comes in and just stakes
0: him in the coffin. Wow. A good old
2: fashioned staking. <laughs> Can't beat it. And
0: yeah. deservedly so as well. What kind of name is Peter for a vampire? <laughs> I am Count Peter. Shut up, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Get back in your coffin, Peter. Yeah,
1: you you must all bow before me the great and powerful Kevin Von Carstad.
0: <laughs> Keith Von Carstad. <Karstein. laughs>
1: yes yeah, so the the first two were or the first two to be killed Conrad and Peter were killed by imperial forces shall we say they were killed by external means or external uh, sources. That is not to say that the vampires themselves weren't a shower of backstabbing shites. So Hans was the, the kind of third of the sons, was... <laughs> jazz Hans. <laughs> jazz Hans. Jazz hands. <laughs> can, we, can we call him
0: Jazz Hans from now on, please?
1: No, he was much hipper than that. You have to call him Jazzy H. von Carstein. <laughs> Jazzy. So Jazzy H. von Carstein got goaded into a kind of one-on-one combat with Conrad von Karstein. Special K, we'll call him. And so Special K literally ripped Jazzy H in half. Wow. Because he was insane. But after these deaths, especially after Peter's death, the fourth son, uh, Manfred, completely disappeared, just vanished. It's like he just got up from a, a kind of two o'clock in the afternoon nap and just mm-hmm. disappeared into the world, leaving Conrad as really the the sole survivor and really the undisputed vampire count of Sylvania. Uh, which was bad for everyone involved, including Conrad, because unfortunately he was as mad as a bag of dicks. Uh, he's fucking mental, isn't was, it? Can you imagine a bag of dicks? And that, and that is mental. <laughs> well, what's in this bag? Whoa! <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> These are not my dicks. <laughs>
0: and I am mad about it. Yeah. The only thing madder than a we bag could... of dicks is a bag of someone else's dicks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so... <laughs> What are we doing? (laughs) What what are we doing with our lives? Fucking hell. All right. Hi, (laughs) mum. But yeah, he was
1: completely insane. He, as a human, he was already the (laughs) kind of nuttier side of Nutella. And, you know, Merciless used violence and his own strength to solve all his problems. And the transition to vampirehood, which is effectively like eight hours of excruciating pain, after which you are then undead, just tipped him completely over the edge. So he is like bloodthirsty, butcher, you know, uh, and really would anything would really tip him off. Like he had a
2: Mr. Chris. So he was the de facto leader, elect account by this point. Would anyone... One, want to have challenged him because they would have seen the writing on the wall, been like, uh, "He's fucking nuts. We don't need him as a leader." And two, was anyone strong enough to challenge him?
1: I think one of the kind of cliches about vampires is there's constant scheming, there's constant politicking, and so absolutely there would have been coteries of vampires around Warhammer that would have tried that would have felt that they could have been the better leader and felt that uh, all things being equal, they should be the better leader, or they should be the the kind of ultimate leader of Sylvania. Unfortunately, none of them had the willpower or strength or resources to stand up to an undead psychopath who doesn't care about the next day. Mm. He, he, He does not give two hoots about consequences. And ultimately... This is the driving factor. So it's the great difference between him and Vlad was the motivations for the the second vampire war. But just to illustrate how unhinged he was, we spoke before that uh, Sylvania has some living uh, occupants. There are it is a, an imperial province and does have imperial citizens in there, including crossbowmen. Uh, but there are also there's human and skeleton crossbowmen, although. One could argue they're all technically skeleton crossbow men.
0: <laughs>
1: one section just has padding.
0: Yeah, yeah. One's stage one. One is stage two. <laughs>
1: stage two. Yeah, one is the kind of developmental stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the R&D phase. And then the second is the completely obedient phase. <laughs> but uh, he, he famously did not like cats and so ordered all of his crossbow men to use cats as target practice.
2: I'm just going to cover <laughs> the ears of my cat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, she doesn't like that. <laughs>
2: yeah, she doesn't. I've got my cat on my lap. She's not enjoying this bit, Karen Darren.
1: And if that wasn't bad enough, on at least uh, two or three other occasions, Conrad ordered the entire kind of populace of a peasant village uh, killed and the village burnt to the ground because he didn't like the way they smelled. Wow. (laughs) Which can can be. I mean, it really depends where in the country the village is. So, yeah. Mm, mm,
2: mm. (laughs) I mean, he could have just moved upwind, but, you know, killing them is an option too
1: uh yeah, well he sure. t- to be to be fair
2: he would still know it was there mm, yeah, 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 yeah 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 and it wouldn't stop them from smelling being upwind or downwind they smell regardless so yeah, yeah. he
1: not only kind of uh, used and abused those around him those he was responsible for in quotes he also tried his mother for the crime of bringing him into the world without him consenting when he found her guilty, he bricked her up in a tower. This really underscores his complete lack of sense and he has no grasp on reality and becoming a vampire really didn't do anything for him, didn't help him in any way other than to empower him to enact his uh, psychopathy. Is that the term? Psychopathy?
2: Mm-hmm. Psychopathy. It's a word.
1: It's a new word. Fortunately for the rest of the world, He only really had the kind of power, the physical power of being a vampire. He didn't have any necromantic skill or capacity at all. This manifested as him enslaving any magicians, any wizards or mages that he came across where he could dominate them completely and force them to do his bidding. So as he moved around the empire during the vampire wars, he had this Coterie of enslaved necromancers going from village to village, killing cats, checking if the
0: place smelled nice. Mr. Ben. What does. Did you say coterie or coterie? Coterie. What does that mean? It's the second time you've said that and I still I didn't understand it the first time ever. <laughs> and I know Kral didn't. The moment that you said it last time, I could see the glazed look in his eyes and I was just waiting for him. I
2: didn't, I didn't know what it meant either. I'm okay with that, Ben. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. I was waiting for him to say,
0: what does it mean? But he didn't. And then the conversation moved on and I'm been here, saying, going, say the fucking thing again. Go on, say it. <laughs>
2: Dan, would you mind telling us what coterie <laughs> means, please? I don't understand what coterie <laughs> it means.
1: It's a group of follows, followers. Sorry, that carry your coats. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's it's technically a like-minded group of followers or peers who share the same interests and same goals as you.
0: Gotcha. Right. It
1: does not necessarily have to be uh, voluntary. Oh, okay.
2: Gotcha. Right.
1: So. It, Listeners and hopefully yourselves will recall that as Vlad had gone through the empire, he offered all of his opponents a choice: cake or death. Cake, cake or death.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Join us willingly, or be killed, and I'll reanimate you. Reananaanaanimate you, <laughs> and you will serve me anyway in undeath. Reanimate me. <laughs> I'll re an you well, and, um, and I'll remunerate you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's where you
2: take a noon off somebody. Very, very generous. Put generously. it back on again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I shall re <re-annotate> you. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, it was these uh, serve me in life or serve me in death. Conrad didn't really care about having an empire. He didn't care about leadership other than his own kind of dominance uh, over those he could easily control. So his offer to people was a choice between dying quickly or dying slow and painfully. You were dead anyway. There was no opportunity for him to, or for any of his opponents to act like a lord.
2: But he was generous enough to give them the option, you know. I'd be like, Conrad you've been quite reasonable actually I'll let you choose I'll let you choose
1: I'll let you choose choose for me and my house of cats what (laughs) (laughs) so he began the second vampire war some almost hundred years since the start of the first we're now in the 2100s the early 2100s he starts marching all around the place, giving villages the choice of cake or death, building up his forces with the dead of the villages. One assumes also he must have had
0: an enormous kind of following of undead cats. Mm-hmm. Mm. But didn't we say that you when they when the necromancers reanimated there was some level of control. There was like a tick box, wasn't it? They were like, okay, no, no cats. No badgers, you know. No hippies, they stay dead. Yeah, you know. No hipsters, they definitely stay dead.
2: No liberals, no
0: no liberals. Yeah. yeah, I suppose it ties back to
1: Nagash's driving force, which was to prolong human life, his own particularly. So, thus necromancy must be largely focused on the human on the form human
0: aspect. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it must it must take uh, you know separate rituals and a bit of uh, skill to be able to raise like the horses for undead cavalry. So one assumes you could do it for cats as
0: well. Mm. Or maybe there's like um there's a, a necromancer who's like the equivalent of is it the brown wizard in Lord of the Rings who's all very kind of animal magic and Magic of the Forest and oh, he yeah, just has an undead army of, yeah, ferrets, bunnies, bunnies, <laughs> bunnies are vicious, man.
1: Yeah, ra- uh, Radagast is that was that's the name. one, yeah. Radagast, mm. yeah, tying it back to the IP we're actually dealing with, Ben. Thank you. I <laughs> suppose <laughs> well anyone who specializes in the brown wind of Gurr, if you recall, the uh, amusingly named lore of beasts like radagast but of course this yeah this is still who this is still <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh so uh, so anyway yes conrad has started kicking off the second vampire war he's traipsing around kind of southern the southern empire listeners will recall that uh, sylvania is in the southeast of the uh, empire so he's just uh, mincing up the south which is a sentence I never really thought I'd say. So he minces his way to Nome. <laughs> listeners will recall, is the great foundry city within the Empire. It's where all the cannons are made, the handguns, the engineers who ultimately invent the steam tank, which we've not really talked about before, but it'll be fun to talk about that in two years when we get to the Empire. <laughs> and as he goes along the Grey Mountains at the border of... Between the empire and the kind of conglomeration of Britonia, Estalia, and Tilia, where those twins are from, Chris?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He um... No, they are twins, you idiot. <laughs> 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 where those twins are from?
1: I'm so pleased with that. I'm not even going to react. <laughs> this is where he bumps into the Knights of Blood Keep, Knee, who will eventually become the, the you know the, the Blood Dragons. The what? Knee, knee. The knights who say knee. Yeah. <laughs> These are the kind of Templar vampire knights. Real. Kind of sticklers for honor and propriety. Also, they're the kind of uh, sons and daughters of Aberash, who Danny died a dragon. So they are all about going up against the toughest opponents and trying to drain
0: a thing dry. There's a weird irony in their lore: the whole idea that they're kind of for honor and you know whatnot, but they're also vampires. It's like, where does their honour and morality sit when they're draining
2: a human being dry? I think they would... I'm just going to speculate here. I would say they would be happy to die at a human who was stronger and better than them. It's about who's stronger and mightier, right?
1: Yeah, uh, they don't feel any shame in losing to a, a more skilled a and superior, opponent. a worthy opponent. Exactly right. They will flee as soon as they feel that their life is in peril. They won't stand their ground. They'll just, you know, run away to fight another day. But there are
0: exceptions to this, of course. But that's fighting, isn't it? But like in terms of kind of general sustenance, they're still vampires. They still need blood. Where do they get that blood from? Do they get it from humans? Do they drink it from animals? Oh they would definitely drink it from
1: humans but probably from humans that are they view as lesser than them. The Yo know, that time. that couldn't stand their ground for a uh, you know 5 or 10 minutes against uh, women and
2: children. Women. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> They're very old fashioned. They're very old fashioned ideas about uh, <laughs>
0: so I guess it's more it's more to do with honor in battle rather than honor in general then. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right, okay, cool. All right. You come across um, amusing hypocrisies in the lives of vampires.
2: I was going (laughs) to say, they're like (laughs) happily chowing down on some defenseless young thing. And then they're like absolutely horrified that you just punched like a a kid. (laughs) (laughs) How could you do that, you monster? (laughs) Oh, blood.
0: So the key is don't punch any children around vampires.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're punching them with a Capri Sun straw, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> More of a puncture than a punch, isn't it?
1: I'm a puncture. That has just reminded me of I can't remember which edition of Vampire: The Masquerade it was. It's a, a vampire-based role-playing game where I think it's a one of the clans, the Ventru who are these kind of patrician, you know, classic aristocracy interpretations of vampires. But one of them wouldn't touch anyone and had to stab them in the neck with like a long silver straw.
2: (laughs) 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 That would be me. If I was a vampire, that would be me. I'd be squeamish. (laughs) Yeah.
1: <laughs> do they feel any moments of kind of uh, whimsy so it's one of these kind of crazy kid straws <laughs> that loops around on itself <laughs> uh, anyway back uh, to Conrad Conrad meets the knights and while he doesn't meet any kind of standards for nobility or honour he does promise them huge challenges and great victories uh, ahead so they uh, do semi-reluctantly join his army, but once they start getting into combats and fights, they become his kind of elite force. And with them, Conrad uh, defeats really every force sent out against him, despite the fact that he loses his mind midway in battle and just descends into fury and bloodlust. He he doesn't really have any tactics other than run straight at the enemy and just get in toe-to-toe as quickly as possible but like no one could really stand against him and this kind of sledgehammer of vampiric knightly cavalry.
2: Mr Chris. These um, blood knights, Templar type and knight characters, these are the followers of Aberash, the blood dragon leader. Where is Aberash at this point? He's off contemplating life post dragon draining. Okay, fine. It's <laughs> like the shame. <laughs> I really did, it, man. Good. I hope this doesn't go on Instagram. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> He's just sat there, like cross-legged with a brandy glass full of dragon blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like,
1: I've always wondered, what does he eat now? What does he does he actually eat now, or does he drink now? What What if in a horrible realization that. He's the dragon blood cured him of his uh, vampirism, but now he's faced with a life of constantly having a thirst for piss.
0: <laughs> 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 <That would> be- <laughs> Easier to say that though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you as a
1: like a heavily armored vampiric templar Approach that question in a town when you've just arrived.
2: Right, pay in my mouth.
1: Um, I just want to. Uh, where's the Where's the lavatories?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to have my daytime nap under the latrines
1: yeah. Do you mean he's just lying on the ground with his mouth open? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you just see the latrine, and there's just
0: two little armored legs poking out of the bottom of it. <laughs> Like like the fucking Witch of the East. (laughs) Oh, oh,
1: I think we're done for the day. (laughs) So as Conrad's marching around, there's no no real resistance to him. He's able to see off every uh, challenger, every army sent against him, until he arrives at a place called Kleberstorf. Kleberstorf. Where... The armies of Averland have kind of massed. And as he's starting his army's inevitable march towards the front lines of the army of Averland, the humans just open up with an array of mortar fire, of cannon, of archers. uh, And you have this kind of outer perimeter of just a wall of the undead in that have either been peppered, peppered, I say, to death, seasoned within an inch of their lives, <laughs> and there's a, a kind of wall of dead bodies that's just start to starts to build up. So you're getting kind of stragglers making it through and trying to get to the humans, but they're picked off in short order as well. So the strain of trying to keep this army going starts to impact his pet necromancers which ultimately leads him to go you know to traveling to where they are on the battlefield and kind of begs and pleads offers them you know power influence uh, and crazy uh, riches if they can somehow come up with a strategy that would uh, combat this uh, sheer wall of firepower they're facing ultimately they do the wizards kind of get together have a little meeting and decide what their course of action. And they unleash the kind of uh, huge dark wind that uh, strips the flesh from the humans' bones. And as this is happening, as the humans begin to die, their souls kind of get sucked into the ground and then come back up. And you've got spectral hands grabbing at their uh, former comrades, pulling them down into the mud and so you have a, a, a kind of a sense of horror and panic spreads throughout uh, the Avaland army as more and more men are pulled under or transformed into zombies or uh, skeletons. As this is happening, as, you can, as Conrad sees the kind of disruption and panic spread throughout the human army, he gets a uh, what's described as a rare moment of clarity he sees exactly what's happening and what needs to be done so what he does is he unleashes the blood knight cavalry on one flank and the Drakenhof guard down the other and as they you know as the uh, mortar crews the uh, cannon crews and the archers are disrupted and uh, killed they're able to make it to the human lines And they just begin to crush and kill everything in between them. And ultimately, the Avaland army breaks and flees. You know, whole regiments at a time are just fleeing in a panic to get away from these kind of avatars of death. And though it takes about another five days, Conrad manages to uh, find and kill every single member of the Avaland army. uh, down to the, the last man, the last kind of baggage boy, it's completely minced. There's no trace
0: left. Did they, did, you know, because they were, you know, predominantly, by the sounds of it, predominantly ranged troops, did their undead versions, you know, do, are they skilled enough as undead versions of themselves to still use the, the ranged weaponry? Great question. It ties into
1: really one of the core aspects of necromancy, which is it strips away your uh, will to resist so that you become simply an automaton. Mm. so it 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 re- a skilled necromancer can retain aspects of the living person's knowledge. So you know, you can have famously in third edition, you you could have, uh, skeleton crossbowmen; they had exactly the same stats. They were as effective, uh, which is pretty ineffective, as skeleton spearmen or the Grim Reapers, as they were called, which were just skeletons with scythes. But they had a knowledge of how to fire, uh, how to aim, and fire crossbows. Right, okay. So, yes, to in answer to your question, yes, but not to a great degree, because ultimately. The only initiative and will that is present in a vampire count's army is the vampire counts is the, yeah, the either the right. vampires or their necromantic the uh, followers. Yeah. yeah. Right. S-
2: so an avaland archer is more driven and capable than an undead avaland archer.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's mo- more reactive, more reactive to situations, uh, and more useful. That's the thing, perhaps, that people don't grasp about necromancy especially in warhammer is that individual troops individual forms of the undead exist to fulfill a specific role mm. either one that is designed by you know a necromancer or one that has just kind of naturally occurs uh, as as we've mentioned because the wind of dar kind of collects naturally in areas and can raise dead without the need for a necromancer or a vampire
2: kind Right, what is that.
1: So, of course, Conrad being Conrad, he wasn't only uh, interested in violence against humans. The dwarf hold of Zuffbar is just to the southeast of Sylvania. It's actually on the Sylvanian border along the kind of World's Edge Mountains just before it breaks into the uh, Black Mountains where it veers off to the uh, right hand side. No, I've got that wrong it veers off to the left, because being 50, I still can't remember my left from my right. You're welcome.
0: Um, That has nothing to do with you being 50.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did I say 50? I meant stupid.
0: (laughs) Do you like your name? No, of course you don't. Your name is John. Your boring life is due in no small part to your boring name. Now, picture that same boring life, but you're known throughout the lands as Marvelous Von Krakenballs. Huh? not so a boring life anymore. That's right, you too can change your plebbish name and give your life the makeover it so desperately needs. At Something Von Something, our deed poll service is fast, efficient, and legally binding. If by binding you mean your name, and definitely not your soul, to a certain everlasting undead overlord who shall remain nameless. Select from a wide range of pre-approved names like Nefarious Von Badgerite, Vitriol Von Vamoose, or Quagmire Von Chopinhausen, or create your own bespoke name. As long as it includes at least one von or van, Otherwise, what's the point? Something von something. Because your name fucking sucks.
1: Conrad, after uh, mincing the Avaland army, it keeps looking around to pick a fight. And so decides that the dwarves are as good a, uh, a target as any. So as I say, Zuffbar is the closest hold. So he goes to, I believe our American friends say, fuck around and find out. So he just wants to go and see what the story is if he were to
2: stab a few dwarves. Have a poke around.
1: Have a poke around. So what he starts doing is destroying the kind of lowland settlements and buildings of the dwarven kingdom. So you're looking at, uh, you know, kind of uh, pastured farms, uh, breweries, which is a real stick in the eye for the dwarves. And ultimately, the dwarves of Zuffbar send out uh, expeditions to kind of hunt them down. He picks a fight with a few of these expeditions, uh, but really the main conflict with the dwarves is uh, not really had until they gather around the town of Nacthaven.
2: Martha has a question. Go on. Then. Um, just recalling about the fact <laughs> that <laughs> vampires. <laughs> 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 so vampires don't like drinking <laughs> the blood of of dwarves. So when Conrad was pillaging, destroying, slaying uh, uh, the inhabitants of Zuffbar, was he just doing it for sport? Was he, uh, in all seriousness, was he not drinking their blood for sustenance?
1: In general, yes, you are correct. In general vampires don't enjoy drinking the blood of dwarves. The kind of wisdom presented in the source material is that a dwarf's blood is so riddled with alcohol, it has such a high alcohol content, that they really don't uh, enjoy it, don't gain that much sustenance from it. So at uh, Nachthaven, uh, Nachthaven, Hafen, a very similar effect happens when attacking the Dwarven line as when they attacked the Averland army. Yes, the Dwarves have the cannons, the organ guns, the handguns. So there is that kind of range devastation that happens that they have to get through, like this curtain of fire. But what they're noticing is that the control that Conrad's coterie of necromancers has has lessened uh, and they're finding it incredibly difficult to uh, not only keep the army moving forward at any speed you know where possible they will re-raise uh, a, an undead figure an undead troop from an amalgamation of other bits so as a, as a several skeletons are exploded or destroyed they are actually able to knit together a lesser amount of skeletons from those remains and send them back into the battle. If you know what I mean, if you, you know,
2: it's like right. Neil Buchanan on Art Attack. You know, when he just gets like a few boxes of random, like arty bits. Right, got a cardboard <laughs> tube, got a roll of cellophane, bam, skeleton, <laughs>
0: <laughs> an undead Neil Buchanan.
1: In in this analogy, it would be like if you had 20 Picassos and they were destroyed and from their remains, you built five Picassos. A
2: regular looking portrait.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh. I love that uh, the Truman Capote art quote where uh, Marilyn Monroe had bought a Jackson Pollock a huge kind of piece of art and then had hung it in our house upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Because really, how would you know? (laughs) The signature, I suppose. (laughs) So what had happened was as the troops were marching through this curtain of fire, they were coming within range of the anti-magic magic magic of the dwarven roomsmiths. So these are the Uh, the kind of masters of dwarven rune magic and are able to amplify the already innate kind of um, immunity that dwarves have to magic, that they radiate from magic. So the control over the army was being uh, stolen effectively, just being bled away into into the ether.
2: So, the magic cock blockers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to go in there with an immature comment. <laughs>
1: it just—it's just really weird when you're saying these things and the camera is pointed squarely at your cat.
2: <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Martha that's saying it, not me.
1: Uh, it's like a wild <laughs> episode of Sabrina.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so when these, when the, when the zombies and the skeletons—they were walking into kind of proximity with these runes, these anti-magic runes. Were they just? The, the crumbling to the floor, because they suddenly were no longer controlled by the, the necromancers?
1: Well, they, they were slowing down. You had this kind of gray area between total runemaster control and total necromancer control, ah, where the efficiency of movement, the efficiency of control, the speed, uh, combat abilities of the undead were gradually getting worse. And then they would get to a point where they would, yes, they would just collapse on the ground. Right, what they had also noticed is that, um, if you can imagine, that's kind of a wide band of uh, of the battlefield where this uh, contention is happening. That uh, skeletons and zombies that had collapsed in nearer the necromantic side, nearer the kind of the forces of the undead, it was getting harder and harder for. To the necromancers to resurrect them, to get them back in the battle. So uh, gradually the army of Conrad was, for want of a better word, bleeding to death. Their troops were just, they were losing troops and not able to resurrect them and get them back into into combat. Ultimately though, they identify what the issue is, the the issue of the rune priests. So uh, Conrad leads an all-out assault into the kind of right flank of the Dwarven army and kills every runesmith in the the Dwarven army, or throng, as they refer to it, of course. But while he's doing this, he's doing this with the kind of standard cavalry, skeletons, perhaps some of the winged vargeists, and other uh, regular, in quotes, troops that a vampire count's army would have. He also sends in the blood knights, and the Drakenhof Guard as well. Uh, And so the Dwarven army starts getting rolled up from both sides, uh, from both ends, and you're left with this kind of last stand of elite Dwarven troops, including their king, uh, in the centre of the battle, the Dwarven battle line. And really there's a sort of a fight to a standstill as the... The power of the runesmiths uh, is wiped out, and the necromancers manage to regain control over Conrad's army. It surges forward again, back to its kind of natural size, or unnatural size, I suppose. They are undead, uh, and full force. So the greatly diminished dwarven army is now facing the raging undead hard-on of Conrad's army, if you'll forgive the phrase. Um, I, won't, I, won't forgive <laughs> I, won't, I won't forgive that. I won't forgive <clears> that phrase. But dwarves being dwarves rely on or, or default to kind of natural dwarven ways of making war. So the dwarf king challenges Conrad to single battle, uh, expecting that if he kills Conrad, then that's the army done because If you kill the leader, if you kill a vampire count who's a regular kind of vampire count uh, who has a level of necromantic power, if you kill them, then the army starts to collapse. The the opposing force starts to collapse. So the Dwarf King is counting on this happening. But, of course, he doesn't realize that Conrad has no necromantic capacity whatsoever. And so if they kill him, it won't have an impact on the army around. Mr. Chris?
2: And just to highlight another grievance uh, from the first recording about this moment of the High Dwarven King just challenging him in the midst, in the heat of battle, when he's about to be defeated anyway, and he's like, whoa, everybody, swords down, let's settle this once and for all, even though I was about to be destroyed, let's have a one-on-one battle. Yeah. It's really disappointing, (laughs) 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 to put it diplomatically. Why would Conrad even go? Yeah, you know what? Let's put everything. Let's risk everything that we've just put forward. You know, I'm about to defeat you anyway. Actually, let's put it on a toss of a coin whether 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 I'm actually going to beat this.
0: But he's also a psycho, isn't he? Like he doesn't he doesn't think the same way as you and me. Might think the same way as Dara, though. I I don't
2: know. No, no. Yes, accomplished generals, Ben. Accomplished generals. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it is as you say. It's a real, it's a real uh, gamble. Yeah, you know?
2: but Conrad just before nap time as well, right?
1: Oh, this—it's it, nap time is hours away. Uh, this is all happening at night.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So
1: he's still, okay, he's fine. still. Uh, I want to use the word virile, but at the same time, I don't. <laughs> he's engorged with power. No, that's worse. Uh, <laughs> in a perhaps second moment of clarity. He understands exactly what's at stake, exactly what could happen. And so while he does accept the Dwarf King's challenge, he instead sends the kind of Grand Master of the Blood Knights, uh, Wallach Harkon, to fight in his stead as his champion. So this enormous Blood Dragon Knight goes into a duel with the Dwarf King. They have a, a duel that lasts about an hour. And ultimately, Harkon does in fact kill uh, the dwarf king, and then tears his body in half from shoulder to hip, and drains what's whatever blood is left, Ugh. like a really awful Capri son of Samuka. Wow! But doesn't like it. He hit- doesn't like it. <laughs> <He's> like,
0: <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> his his gag reflexes it's the (laughs) exact same reaction my son
1: has when he has to eat broccoli
2: it's like the Bush Tucker trial of Warhammer
1: Um, and then this just breaks the kind of noble spirit of the dwarves uh, and while they do stand their ground again within less than an hour the entire dwarf army is killed to a dwarf And he and Conrad marches off again uh, and... God, son of a bitch. Doesn't give a fuck. So kind of having his fill of combat with dwarves, he heads back into the familiar territory of killing humans once again. While this is all happening, it's, it's one of these things, it's like it wasn't happening in a vacuum. It wasn't like the armies of humanity were unaware that he existed and the threat he posed. He was so vicious uh, and so um, uh, competent in terms of uh, melee combat, but really the threat that was posed by his entire army caused a a very rare thing to happen. It's still the time of the three emperors in uh, the empire. So you have Middenheim, Uh, Talabic land and uh, Maronyburg, the elector counts of all of these three provinces still lay claim to the throne of the empire, to be the emperor. You know, this has been now several hundred years that the empire has been without a singular leader. The horror of reality when dealing with Conrad or having Conrad as an enemy basically forced these three elector counts to put aside their differences and to join forces however briefly to try and deal with this kind of existential threat to the empire of man this was first manifested at the battle of four armies where you it, it kind of in within the shadow of middenheim itself so you're in middenland which is the, the the province that surrounds middenheim the battle of four armies is famous for the sheer level of treachery amongst the human uh, leaders where you had the son of Middenheim's elector count and the elector count of Talabic land within the kind of fray and disruption and confusion of battle organized to have each other assassinated <laughs> so, <laughs> so that they can try and get rid of that. Kind of claimant to the throne. Unfortunately, they both succeed; both are killed. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> awkward. <laughs> as this is happening in, in, in this chaos, they really kind of the two armies or the two factions, I suppose, uh, the humans and vampires, bloody each other's nose, uh, and ultimately leads to a, a relative stalemate with the armies retreating uh, from the from the battle. This treachery and confusion ultimately leads the empire to unite under a, a single uh, elector count, which is the third of these three uh, provinces, Marienburg.
2: The only elector count left, by the sounds of it.
1: O- of those three. Of those three in the field. Yeah. So we have Helmut of Marienburg, who is now the uh, de facto candidate, not necessarily named the empire, the emperor but everyone is kind of temporarily agreeing to his leadership. Mm. Listeners will recall, somewhat recall, I think it was episode five, wait, no, episode four, where we described the Empire of Man, the rough kind of how it looked. Uh, Marneburg is a province that, uh, in the kind of current timeline or the current uh, date of Warhammer is it represents Holland so it's it's the low countries that have seceded from the empire it's no longer part of the empire uh, it was bought off them but at this time during the vampire wars it is still part of the empire so the human forces retreat after the Battle of Four Armies. They retreat to a kind of uh, a summit, a conclave at Averheim, hosted by the Elector Count of Averheim. and many Elector Counts arrive to kind of vote on uh, making Helmet the uh, uh, the Emperor. Emperor Helmet, uh, I think, is a that'd be a great name. <laughs>
0: So is this also to patch up the fact that they tried to assassinate, well, they did assassinate, each other's leaders?
1: Yes, and I think that's really, you know, it's uh, what was it Homer Simpson says? The two greatest words in the English language are default. (laughs) (laughs) Helmut is very much the default uh, candidate, the default emperor. Okay. So, So there's this great meeting where people are either questioning Helmut's capacity, Helmut's uh, ability to be emperor, or they're saying, yes, he should be. He's the greatest leader. He stood against Conrad and the forces of evil, so it's natural that we would uh, back them. While this is all happening, Helmut is kind of drifting off. He's just kind of looking around, and suddenly he can no longer speak. His his voice just doesn't, it stops working, and his face kind of looks like he's got pleurisy, he's kind of got a droop face. And the kind of uh, collection, the nobility of the Empire really start getting concerned when his skin starts peeling from his bones and an eyeball falls out. To everyone's horror, including Helmut's son, Helmar, which is only slightly better as a name, (laughs) they discover he's a zombie. At some stage, (laughs) Helmut had died and was now reanimated under the control of Conrad and his necromancers. That's brilliant. What a move.
0: (laughs) That must have taken some power as well to keep him looking human.
1: Yeah, the necromancers were in the city. They were in Averheim, animating thing. It just
2: makes me wonder... They were hid under the table controlling him like a sock puppet. Oh yes, we should yeah. we should give in to all of make, Conrad Wilson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what would you? Helmet, we're about to get some food and drink. What would you like? Got the gear. Got la gear. <laughs> uh, the gear. <laughs> for anyone there uh, listening, please Google Orville the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> what was the other one That guy, I can't remember that guy's name the ventriloquist but he had another character which was a monkey
2: and there was the one with the emu as well that would always pick at people's bums and stuff it was very camp
1: yeah. Yeah. now the only thing I can remember about the monkey was it kept going I hate that duck that's, that's all I can remember <laughs> anyway we veered off slightly but not too far so not only are the the necromancers forced to flee, but as they're fleeing, they get a hold of helmet as well. So they, they run off with their sock puppet straight back to Conrad <laughs> and absolutely enraged that his plan, his cunning plan had not worked. Conrad fights his way out from Averheim. So he's in the province. His army followed, which makes me think of how much power would you need to have as a necromancer to make zombies stealthy? (laughs) It just, did you just have like a load of human sympathizers go around and kind of tie branches to their foreheads?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why? Uh,
1: I don't like the look of that moaning wood. (laughs) Moaning wood. Also a name Chris used to dance under.
2: Used to. Mate, I'm going out there tonight.
1: <laughs> Times are tough, Darren. I'm back in the game. Yeah, man. So, yes, he slaughters his way uh, back across the Empire and, you know, destroys every village that he comes across, giving them the also the cake or death choice and uh, peppering the cats with uh,
2: crossbow bolts. Yeah. I, when it comes to Conrad, I don't think you have to say that. I think that's just a default move. You know, if he's going from one place to another, if he encounters a settlement, town, or city, inhabitants, he's going to kill the fuck out of them. Done. Yeah. yeah. Understood. Yeah. That's, that's how he rolls. And yeah, have yeah, all the cats, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, Shush,
2: yeah. come Don't listen, Martha. Sorry, Martha.
1: <laughs> Martha. The Elector Counts, enraged by the fact that they have nearly had a zombie emperor, the armies of the Empire amass, uh, so there are now more than... Three armies arrayed against uh, Conrad because not only have, uh, or sorry, not only has uh, Conrad uh, destroyed a good portion of the empire, but they also realized that they, as nobles, were under specific threat because Conrad had almost had a zombie emperor installed, uh, and thus. Happy zombie fun times would have occurred
0: uh, within the Empire of Man. <laughs> I love the idea of like him getting elected, the zombie emperor getting ele- elected, and then he's like, "Okay." And they're like, "What is the first thing? you What is your first command?" He's like, "Let's all be friends. Open the doors. Let them in." <laughs> and then, like, surely they would have all been like, mm, "No, dude, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, We're not going to no, do that." No, no, like, no. Also, your eye's falling out, motherfucker. What's going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you're ugly. <laughs> New order. Everybody take their eye out. <laughs> and then we took our eye outs, which was
1: the style at the time, you see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you can imagine now, you have, I'm asking you to picture a scene. You have on one side of this moor, this moorland an enormous undead army. Skeletons and zombies up front, you've got the wings kind of monstrosities, you've got uh, flying around, you've got packs of ghouls kind of skirmishing out in front and to the sides. The armoured cavalry of the blood knights on one side, you've got the, the massed ranks of the Drakenhof Guard, the elite white guard of, of uh, sylvania that actually sounds quite racial white w-i-g-h-t <laughs> guard of they're very of, inclusive uh, they're very
2: inclusive yeah oh
1: yeah we all look the same when we're a skeleton <laughs> and then you've got the uh the, the vampire leadership and the kind of large chanting circle of necromancers keeping this army intact the human army is comprised of uh a, a big mixture of forces from various different elector counts there's at least six elector counts on the field themselves you have also arriving somewhat uh, tardy to the party a huge force of dwarves desperate to erase conrad from their book of grudges or the what was it your what was it amy called them
0: the bonk of cradges bonk of cranges
1: (laughs) So you have uh, a significant-sized dwarf army appearing as well. The forces of the undead are now entering the uh, the similar kind of uh, timeline for battle. They're marching forward. There's a curtain of fire. Suddenly, a all the undead forces are just being splintered. You know, a good. 500 yards from the imperial lines there's rune priests there's uh, magic users with the empire army there's a, a distinct kind of buffer zone of kind of combat for control of the undead it's getting harder and harder for the necromancers to push the army forward Conrad thinks that, okay, I'm going to stick with the plan that works. We're going to send the Blood Knights in on one flank. We're going to send the Drakenhof guards and some wing troops in on the other. And we'll just roll these armies up. It'll be absolutely fine. Unfortunately, something happens where the forces of the undead start to collapse. It seems like the human and dwarf kind of magic users are able to completely destroy the undead forces once they get closer and none of the undead troops are being resurrected conrad had so abused the necromancers and the magic users and put them in such a position of danger time and time again that they had over uh, a couple of decades come up with a plan uh, to do what i like to call fucking off they fled <laughs> they absolutely just panicked and ran they saw their opportunity they saw the size of the armies that they were arrayed against and they just ran. <laughs> they man fled. They man fled. Von Karstein. <laughs> uh, <man-fled> the... <laughs> <Von Kirstein>. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, for a time, it was only really Conrad's kind of raw anger and willpower and the kind of innate vampiric ability to control undeads relatively close to you that kept any percentage of the army going but it just proved too much it was like he kept it going for about half an hour and then the army just collapsed literally dropped to the ground and this forced conrad completely over the edge he was uh, utterly unable to grasp what had happened he began just ranting to himself killing anyone that would get in his way and he just sort of wandered away he didn't flee he didn't there was no sense of panic he had just gone insane and completely divorced from the reality of the situation and just wandered the battlefield wandered away from the battlefield until two kind of great heroes the electric count helmar of i've got a zombie dad fame oh yeah
0: yeah yeah uh, <laughs> who was probably understandably pretty fucking livid by that point yeah help my dad's a zombie <laughs> my dad looked better with both eyes in so what i'm half zombie now <laughs> yeah. does that make me half yeah. zombie <laughs> who is my mother <laughs>
1: actually doesn't my zombie dad sound like a disney kid show
0: it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> help as my as dad's start. a zombie yeah sounds like a <laughs> start of a podcast my zombie dad wrote a yeah. poem.
1: um the other hero being the great dwarf hero, Gruffbad, who not only managed to get to tackle Conrad to the ground, but actually managed to hold him down while Helmar impaled him through the heart with his Rune Fang, the, the great magical swords bequeathed to the elect Counts.
2: Mr. Chris. Two things. One, Gruffbad definitely wears shades, fact. Two, <laughs> did Conrad fight back at all? Was or he, or was just, he just lost yeah. in his own insanity at this point? Oh, uh, he, yeah, he was gone. Yeah, did he not put a bunch yeah? Of fight? He
1: didn't really okay. understand what was happening right. to okay. him at that stage. God,
2: I, I feel a bit
0: sorry for him actually, because kind of he's not. You know, no, I think he needs to be ben. put in like some sort of asylum. Do you know what I mean? Like he he wasn't. He was just gone.
2: No. No no no, no 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 he needs to be staked through the heart no question is it no is, trial
0: is a rune fang the same as a stake in terms of its impact on a vampire
1: well it's a it's a magical dwarven sword so uh, so yes. one assumes that it has some innate capacity to
0: be like a steak. not
1: only uh, immobilize but kill like offer the true death to a vampire this is the thing most people get wrong with stakes when you stake a vampire it doesn't kill them it just puts them to sleep what it paralyzes them what yeah what what through the heart (laughs) i just love the idea ben that you're going what what i i have to go (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah (laughs)
2: Oh, shit. Uh, (laughs) I'll be back in a minute, something completely unrelated. (laughs) Is that the sound of my shed door opening? (laughs) Guys, guys, it turns out he's not dead. Quick. (laughs) Benji, Benji, uh, yeah, don't ask any questions, but the dude might not actually be dead.
1: (laughs) And thus passes... Conrad von Karstein, he is uh, no more, he is an ex-parrot, he is (laughs) dead. And and thus comes to an end the Second Vampire War. This leads to a a, a relative decade of peace before what I like to call the Third Vampire War starts, (laughs) which
0: we will cover Next episode. This naming strategy that you've come up with—it's—it's—it's pretty easy to follow, actually. Is what it is. (laughs) Well,
1: well, thank you for thank you for assuming that I named them.
2: (laughs) 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 Is is the third vampire war? Is it going to be less gripping than the first two? Is it going to have like slightly lesser actors? They're going to milk out (laughs) the line just a little bit too, one too many. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. oh, it's not. Like, it's not. It wasn't like the first two.
1: Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. the third Vampire War is led by a literal zombie suck puppet. Zombie <laughs>
2: suck
1: puppet. Wow. Like an undead city.
0: Called Mister Uh
1: No, uh, we we see a return of well, anything I say now is really kind of spoilery, so
0: I won't. Yeah. No. So uh, it's pretty, pretty sad. sad. Uh, I, I think we're all in agreement it's a sad end for Conrad, right?
2: No, we're not in agreement. I fully disagree. Conrad got what's coming. He got what's coming to him. That's not even right. But you know what I'm saying. Dude, slayed all those dwarves. Fucking... Some sort of memorial. Yeah, there. he's a nutter, mate. One, one less maniac in the world. There is a kind of... A, he sounds,
0: as a character, he's quite similar to like, um, Grimgore, kind of unhinged like it, he is violent for the sake of violence there's no he isn't after anything is he
1: i i, I would kind of disagree a little bit i'd say like grimgore had a specific goal which was to be the toughest and the best and for everyone else to know he was the toughest and the best and the, the biggest badass conrad just wanted to kill that's all he wanted to do he didn't want to rule yeah he right kind of embraced uh, leadership as a vehicle to combat as a vehicle to bloodshed and war and violence so if anything he's more mindless than Grimgore, even though he is more rational and conversational and kind of uh, persuasive when he needs to be um, he doesn't want, yeah, like, he doesn't
0: really want to rule better at parties who um conrad <laughs> Surely. Would you, would you rather be at a party with Groomgore, would you? Yeah, because I don't pose any threat whatsoever. I'm like a tall halfling. I'm talking conversationally now. I'm not talking about the
2: threat to your life. Well, conversationally, it'll go something like, Conrad will just be like, look, well, how do you want to die? <laughs> Slowly? Or quickly, at least Grimgore will be like, he'll just be showing, going through his iPhone, showing you, I defeated this guy, I defeated this guy, that guy put up a fight, but I defeated him. I am the best. I am the best. You know what I mean? He'll just bore you. And then and then there'll just be a, a section of photos in his phone, which is
0: just like, you know, pictures of a lake and pictures of kind of a nice like forest setting during that period where he, he didn't quite know who he was anymore yeah. and he you know <laughs> yeah. he went soul searching. And he and he gets to those and he just kind of embarrassingly like goes, Oh, just get through them, get through them. Like, oh yeah, yeah, look at this. I took this guy's head off here, look, you know? And then I ate his insides.
2: Like, oh, that's, that's cool, right. man. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Darren, I have a question for you. Yes. So you are a big fan of the undead, as we all know. What's your view on Conrad and the way he exited the law? Is is that the kind of behavior of undead that you like and that attracts you to undead? And do you think that maybe he's actually a bit of a
0: good guy? Uh,
1: no, he's definitely not a good guy. My view of like necromancy and undead is to extend one's life to experience more of somewhat ironically life so Conrad only wanted to kill and destroy he's obviously you know there's that phrase uh, hurt people hurt people he was damaged Mm. long before he became a vampire Uh, so he's just I mean in, in modern parlance he is replaying his trauma with every encounter trying to unravel you know subconsciously unravel what his place in life is what in place his place in death is what it means to be a vampire he's not thinking rationally about these things but that in general is what happens when people repeat behavior so he's repeating that behavior uh, trying to unlock what it means uh, but he has no idea
2: but how do you feel about that
1: i think he serves as a good contrast between vlad And the next guy after Conrad, I think it shows like there's a a kind of Nagashi uh, kind of school of thought where you're trying to be a shepherd to humanity. You don't mind there being living entities because you're going to need some of them for food, but you're trying to rule and secure the world for your own survival. Conrad didn't really care about that. He just wanted to fight and kill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good, yeah, it's a good juxtaposition, him and Vlad, Mm -hmm. the kind of wildly different aspects. I mean, there's a good, a strong case could be made that uh, Conrad von Karstein was actually more Strigoi in his behavior than, you know, von Karstein in his behavior, von Karstein's being the stereotypical Dracula-like vampires. Uh, he's more mm, bestial, really. That's interesting. I think he would have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he was a stragoi trapped in a von Karstein.
0: We've all been there.
1: One can only have sympathy for the condition, but you still have to be responsible for your mad as a bag of dick actions,
0: which I think we've already established. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, these are not my dicks.
1: <laughs> I mean, let's let's say it. Let's just say it plainly. I think Conrad had a cart that had bags of dicks in it.
0: (laughs) Mad as a cart of bags of
1: dicks. (laughs) But no, not a fan of Conrad. Interesting case study in, you know, violence for violence's own sake. But no, he does not represent the positive aspects of Undead that I enjoy.
2: Okay, interesting. I'd ask what positive aspects of Undead is, but (laughs) we will probably just go over too long, so... I'll leave that for chunks of DAR, tier two patrons only. Right. Shall I wrap up? Yeah. Yeah, go on.
0: Yeah. All right. That's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind the scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. As always, big thank you to our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you guys. You cover our costs and allow us more time planning content. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lower and sign up today for as little as three pounds. This will give you access to our Discord server so you can come and chat with us directly and there's an ever-growing pile of exclusive bonus content on there. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, goodbye.
2: I want to suck your blood. I got it in there.
1: The next episode is going to blow your fucking mind. Bye! <laughs>